Well, praise the Lord. Let's say that again. Praise the Lord. Good to see you guys here today. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Philippians chapter number one. This is a fifth Sunday. And so on the fifth Sundays, our children stay upstairs with us today. And, uh, and so it's good to have our kids in the house. And um, I'll try not to preach a long sermon. I remember what it's like to squirm in the pew. But let me just tell you, uh, God has saved a lot of squirming kids in a pew on a Sunday. And so I'm thankful for squirming kids on a Sunday morning. Perfectly fine. Perfectly fine. Glad that, glad that they're here Philippians chapter number 1. We're going to look at one verse of Scripture today in verse 21. One verse in verse 21 today. We are in a series on the book of Philippians. We're going to walk through this book together. And uh, not verse by verse, but but section by section, sort of. And I don't want to be in the book of Philippians for a long, long time. And so we're going to finish up chapter 1 today and get into chapter 2 next week. And so uh, Philippians chapter 1, one verse of scripture, verse 21. Can we put that on the screen, please? Where Paul says this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What an incredible life statement that is for any of us in here to make that our theme verse. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Lord Jesus, Help us to understand your word today. We will bless your name. God, I pray for anyone in this place that does not know you. I pray that today is the day that you absolutely turn their life around and that you become beautiful and sweet for the first time in somebody's life. God, we praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember the days of watching cartoons before and after school. I remember the days uh, of watching cartoons on a Saturday morning. Times have changed a lot. Uh, with my kids growing up, and uh, uh, the cartoons are certainly different. I was born in 1981, just turned 42 years old, and so by the time I hit the mid-80s and late 80s watching cartoons, a lot of the cartoons that we loved were classics. Now, I could talk about uh, a cartoon that those in their 40s and 30s probably absolutely loved. I I loved the show DuckTales. That's not the show I'm going to bring up this morning. But in the mid to late 80s, there were some older cartoons that I think some of you uh, that are older, even older than I am, will will remember. I remember before going to school, there was someone called Captain Caveman. Anybody remember Captain Caveman? I'm not going to do his call that he had as he swooped through the jungle. We got pictures of these, by the way. The first one's Captain Caveman. Can we put him on? There he is. That is classic cartoon art, by the way. Classic cartoon art. And, uh, oh, this was, this was so good growing up. Anybody remember Hong Kong Fooey? If I tried to put these on at the house right now, my kids would revolt on me, right? I mean, Sawyer loves Andy Griffith in the mornings, don't you? Don't you love that show? <laughs> the Pink Panther. Anybody remember the Pink Panther? I didn't put this one up there. We don't have this one, but Popeye was always uh, fantastic at the house. But there was a show that came on called Mr. Magoo. 
Anybody remember Mr. Magoo? Let's look at Mr. Magoo. There he is. There he is. Of course, I love Tom and Jerry and Bugs Bunny and all that, but, but I remember Mr. Magoo, and I'm going to try to tie a very serious sermon, by the way, that I've opened up uh, very lighthearted. Um, but, but Mr. Magoo was a nearsighted man, old man, and the show centered around him making ridiculous choices because he didn't know any better. And so he would just do terrible things like walking out into the street or walking out in the street on red or, I mean, just, just totally ridiculous choices that he would make. Terrible blunders which led to more terrible things. And he was too stubborn to see, too nearsighted to see, and really didn't understand how his life choices uh, played in uh, for that particular episode. And it got him into even more trouble. And he would just begin to follow those with even uh, worse decisions and worse decisions. But what was interesting about Mr. Magoo is the more he pressed in to the episode, the more his life seemed to just work out by the end. In some ways, Paul's life looks like Mr. Magoo. See, the gospel and his desire to take the good news to the world leads him into more trouble and more trouble and more trouble. Paul is whipped, beaten, flogged, stoned, imprisoned. In fact, he writes Philippians from a jail cell where he is, uh, where he is, is chained every six hours to a, a person in the, in the imperial guard. Every six hours, someone would rotate, somebody different would rotate. He, he was having to be chained to a person. For two years, Paul lived in this jail for preaching the gospel. Paul was shipwrecked. The Bible says that he spent a day and a night in the middle of the open ocean. I don't know if he had a piece of the ship that he was hanging on to. I don't think he had a life jacket in those days. But, but drifting in the middle of the open water... Uh, he for, for a night and a day. Uh, he was hated by everyone. He was broke. He had no money. He was hungry, freezing cold. Ultimately, he gets his head cut off for the gospel. Okay? And in spite of all of this, like Mr. Magoo, Paul has an unexplainable joy through all the circumstances that it's going to end up okay. See, happiness is related to happenings. Its delight is in circumstances. So when my circumstances are good, I'm happy. And when my circumstances are terrible, I'm unhappy. And I'm giving testimony. That's Mike Stevens. And being in the ministry and, being tr and trying to preach through seasons of happiness and through seasons of unhappiness all I can do is give testimony to the grace of Jesus Christ. Because if I had to preach only when I'm happy, um, I'm not sure how many Sundays of the year that I'd preach. I'd probably have to take a little bit of a pay cut. I've learned that ministry comes in seasons. And I can't be so emotional that I ride the low and can't do ministry, and I can't be so emotional that I ride the high and can't do ministry, I ask the Lord Jesus to help me be a leveled out person 
to walk through life and do ministry because happiness is based on our circumstances. Happiness is a wonderful gift from God. If you are happy in life right now, I praise God for where you're at. But your neighbor besides you may not be in the right circumstances for them to be happy. Joy, on the other hand, is not related to our circumstances. So our circumstances could be good or bad, but joy is completely different than happiness. Joy is a deep down confidence As I walk through life, whether I'm happy or not, joy is a deep down confidence that I know I can't lose. Joy is is the show of Mr. Magoo turning out okay. Because at the end of the day, our joy is based and centered in the identity of Jesus Christ. Joy is found in him. Joy is not a whimsical, fake delight. It's not a fake smile when life is terrible, but it is a faith. It is a confidence in a God who is in charge. So uh, when we talk about joy, it doesn't mean I'm coming in here with my circumstances terrible and I'm shaking every hand and I have a fake smile on my face and I sound like a fake Southern Baptist pastor and going, good to see you, brother. It's good to be in the house of God. My life's a wreck, but praise God I'm smiling today. That, that, is, that, is, that is fake religion, okay? That's not what I'm talking about today. But what I am talking about is when someone is walking through difficult trials and circumstances and deep down inside, they may be unhappy on the outside, but deep down inside, we know of whom our confidence and our faith rests in, a God who's in charge, a confidence that I may not see it now, but I know that God is doing something much bigger than I can ever imagine or plan in my life. John MacArthur says that joy is the flag that flies on the castle of the heart when the king is in residence there. I can have a joy and be sad. I can have a joy and I can grieve. This is why this is a hard message today, because I'm going to end talking about death today. And there are people in here who have experienced grief in their life based on death. And I, and I pray that, that I'm gentle this morning and in speaking into that. I've had people die in my life. I may not have had someone in my life as close to me as that has passed away as is close to you. And so I want to be very gentle this morning, but I do want to speak into this situation today. I can have joy and long for, for restoration of my happiness. Remember, joy is built on our God, faith in Him that He's the King. Let me make a very hard statement here that sounds great for about 99% of circumstances. But when I make this statement or when I quote John Piper here, I'm thinking about the 1%. And this is why this is a very difficult statement here. John Piper says this, Occasionally, weep deeply over the life that you hoped would be. Grieve the losses. Feel the pain. Then wash your face, trust God, and embrace the life that he's given you. It's very easy to say that and read that. It's another thing to actually believe that. 
and to walk in that. Paul, in verse 21, has such an incredible, joyous attitude toward death. And he's translating this over to the Philippians. He desires the Philippians to be secure in Jesus Christ so that if trouble comes their way for living out for Jesus, if trouble is to come their way and they too are imprisoned, for loving God, and they too may be put to death for loving Christ. Paul is preparing them for such circumstances. Now, praise God we live in a land where we're not having to deal with such persecution. But there are brothers and sisters all over the world that are. So this is what makes this message even tougher, because we love our life. We love it. We love the earth. We love our life. We love the treasures that are found in the earth. And this is what makes this even more difficult because death is one of those things that, A, we are scared of. I've always heard, you know, I'm not scared to die. It's just the thought of, of how am I going to die, right? But, but then we are devastated when death finally knocks at our life or someone that we love's life, and it devastates us. It devastates us. Our culture does not scream, Philippians 1 verse 21, to live as Christ and to die as gain. Our culture says death is the worst possible event that could ever take place. John Wesley, I bring him up often because he was a wonderful preacher of the gospel, he was lost when he was pastoring and he meets Christ. Psalm 130 was strategic in his life to save him. But John Wesley was known at preparing his people to die well. Doctors would come from people to people that are in, uh, were in his congregation. They were on their deathbed and these doctors would, would make statements to John Wesley. People from your congregation, they seem to die in peace. I, I, I can remember people in here on their deathbed. I can remember going to their house and visiting them on their, their deathbed. I remember uh, there are names that are running through my mind right now. And, and I'm thinking of godly people who were who so ready to die that they were praying for God to take them. How do they get like that? Well, you say that's easy. They, they've lived out their life. They were older. They've done everything that they wanted to do. But I don't think so. I think their faith was extremely strong. And I think that they looked at death and looked at heaven in such a way that was just different, that's just different from immature believers. I think about, I think about a man named Barbie Glass that about a handful of people in here will know who that is. He loved golf. And I met him one day at Frank House Golf Course. I've been in church here for a couple of years, and I met him behind the, the counter, and I said, hey, my name is Mike Stevens. And he grinned at me. He had this, this witty grin, and he grinned at me. He said, I know who you are. I've been going to church with you for two years. Don't you know who I am? And he just grinned at me. I remember on his deathbed moments from him passing, I watched his feet walk in the bed. He lifted his feet up literally 90 seconds, two minutes before he passed away. I saw the glazed look over his eyes. 
and I saw a witty smile on his face. And as he picked his feet up, six inches off the bed, lying on his back, his feet were moving. And if you're scientific in here, you'll have no need for the statement that I'm about to make, and that's fine. But if you're in faith today, there's no doubt in my mind that the man was walking in heaven while I was in the room. I remember Laureen Roberts, who lived across the street. None of this is in the notes. We're off the page already. Laureen Roberts. Laureen Roberts lived, I don't know, four or five weeks on a spoonful of ice cream and a sip of Coca-Cola. I don't know if Laura is in here today, but Laureen would just cry over those five weeks. Why doesn't Jesus come and take me? She died well. Because she lived well and she loved God. Paul has found point number one. How is Paul like this? Well, how does Paul have joy in death or the thought process of joy? I didn't say it made him happy. I'm not talking about happiness. I'm talking about joy. How do you die well one day? Paul has found his purpose in life is to advance the gospel. We didn't read verse 12, but look at verse 12 with me in the text. Paul says in verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He's saying, I'm in prison, and it's advancing the gospel. In Philippian church, I want you to know about it. He says, he says, the gospel is advancing in such a way so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And so as one guard is chained to him for six hours and they would do a change out every six hours, Paul would share the gospel. For two years he would do this. You know he had to befriend the same people. What about when Paul had to pray? in front of these guys? What about when Paul had to write letters to these people in front of these guys? You know these guys were grilling and they wanted to understand all of these things. In fact, the gospel advances so much that turn over to Philippians 4. We don't have this on the screen, but turn over to Philippians 4 and, and look, at, look at verse 22. Paul closes the letter in Philippians 4, verse 22. The gospel has advanced so much that throughout the whole imperial guard, 5,000 guard of the imperial guard, 5,000. Paul says that the gospel has advanced through the whole guard because he's in prison. Then look at verse 22. Because he's in jail, verse 22, he closes and says, All of the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. The gospel has advanced so much in Paul's circumstances, in Paul's unhappiness, the gospel has advanced so much that people in Caesar's family are getting saved. I, I just got to think that oftentimes God puts us and allows us to be in circumstances that make us unhappy in order that the gospel may go forward. And I guarantee you there is somebody in here today in a difficult circumstance. You don't know why God's got you in the circumstance. And I want to give you that answer. Are you ready? You are in your difficulty in order for the gospel to go forward. 
You have been called to advance the kingdom of God. And what happens is God strategically places somebody in your life right now in your circumstance that needs to hear about the glory of God in your life even when your life is garbage. That person hears about the goodness of God in your circumstance and that person's life will be changed by the gospel in you. It's beautiful. Some new person finds their way in your life or an old friend pops back up or a family member. And you're able to share what Christ has done in your life in the midst of your terrible circumstances. Paul lives for the gospel advancement to grow the kingdom. And this is what begins to take place. And so he looks at death just differently because he has found purpose. Number two, Paul is able to have joy facing death because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 19. We didn't read verse 19, but look at verse 19 right now. Look at what the text says. Verse 19, for I know that through your prayers, by the way, that's another point that I'm not making today. Paul is able to face death, have joy in his circumstances because of the prayer of the church. Union Hill Baptist Church, if we're not a praying church, then we're a dead church. Paul says, for I know that through your prayers, and here it is, the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ that will turn out for my deliverance, for my salvation. What Paul is saying is, is that I can face all of this with joy today because of the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives to make provision for you. He supplies exactly what we need when we need to make it through it all. I think about death. I think about people who, who I love who have died. I think about people who walk in, in life right now in grief, and grief has crippled you. I think about families right now who have been crippled in grief. I think about families who have been crippled in grief years ago, and now they have walked down the line to a place to where, where they're able to function and live and even have some happiness in life. This is what makes all of this so difficult. But the Word says, I don't make the promise. The Word makes the promise that the Holy Spirit provides help. And if you're here and you have walked through crippling grief, or maybe you're there today, I am not making the promise and I'm not being... um, Uh, ugly to anyone in here who is in that, but the scripture is making the promise that if you profess Christ and have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life, the Bible says he will help you through your grief. The Holy Spirit lives for this. Some of us in here think that the Holy Spirit, the only thing that he does is, is causes people to speak in tongues. But the Bible speaks way more about the Spirit of God in areas of our life other than that. The Bible says that the Spirit of God has come to help. He is full of resources. That's what the word is, resources, to help us make it through. He gives wisdom and counsel. He comforts our hearts. He will allow us to function in life. The Holy Spirit will allow you to cling to Bible verses and find hope in the middle of your grief. The Holy Spirit allows you to find happiness when the moments come. But the Holy Spirit is able to give you power in your life, to live your life for the glory of God, even in the worst of hurts. Some of you know this better than I do. He gives peace. 
He allows us to walk in right ways. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives gentleness and allows someone's heart to be gentle and not bitter in the midst of terrible circumstances. In fact, the Holy Spirit can replace a hard heart with a gentle heart. God has called us to walk in that. Even when terrible circumstances come our way, the fruit of the Spirit doesn't go away. Well, this is just who I am. This is who God's created me to be. I'm just mean. My life has been terrible. And I have a right to be mean. I've been wounded. People live like that. But the reality is, you don't have a right to be mean. Because Jesus enters our life, the fruit of the Spirit is there. Love and joy and peace and patience. Kindness. Goodness. All of these things are indicators that the Spirit lives inside of us. The Spirit enables us, enables us to walk how God wants us to walk, even in the worst of circumstances. I think Paul is able to say this about death, lastly, that he has joy in death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. How can Paul say this? I think it's because of the promises of Jesus Christ. Verses 20 and 23, let's look at verse 20 and 23 in the text really quick and we'll be done this morning. Verses 20 and 23, Paul says, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always with Christ, will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. What is Paul saying in verse 20? He's got an eager expectation and hope that he will not be put to shame, meaning that that everything's going to be worth it. It'll be worth it all in the end. You say, Mike, I don't want the end. I want it now. I, I do too, but we can't have everything right now. We look toward the future with eager expectation and hope. And I really think this is the tragedy of American Christian culture today. We don't talk about heaven anymore. The worship songs today, I love new worship songs. I love old worship songs. You ain't going to put me in a camp. I hope we continue to write new praise and worship songs till Jesus comes back. And I hope we keep singing the songs. And then I hope we keep singing the things of the 60s and 70s and 80s. I like that stuff too. I like big monster choir ballads. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I love that kind of stuff. I love it all. You ain't going to put me in a camp. Mike Stevens falls in all of them. But can I throw this out here? New worship songs very rarely talk about heaven. We sing one today. When you look at Christians through history, when you, look at, when you look at people who are persecuted in history, something drove them to be able to get through their daily functions. And it's the idea that heaven is real. Paul has eager expectation. Watch this. The word literally, eager expectation, is literally this. Paul is stretching out his neck to be able to see down the road. He's stretching his neck out there. 
And Paul says, as I stretch my neck out to be able to see past my circumstances, I get my, I'm getting my head past my circumstances so I can look and stretch out there and see what, 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 what reality really is. I have eager expectations. And Paul says something really incredible here. With eager expectation, I know that I will not be put to shame. Years ago, Aaron and I got into a bad car deal. Anybody ever been into a bad car deal? I was a Saturday morning impulse buy seller's dream. I think when me and Aaron drove off the lot in that car, all the salesmen cheered and said, I can't believe we got rid of that car. The trade-in was terrible. The value of what we had, they didn't give us anything. But bless God, I felt good about it all. No telling how much money they made off me, but driving down the road for a little ways, a couple of months into it, I realized just what a sucker I was. You, you ever been into a bad car deal before? Been into a deal with somebody and bought something and down the road you really realized that you got taken advantage of and you felt so foolish? Anybody ever done that? I, I just please tell me I'm not in the same, I'm not in the boat by myself. Would you be honest before the Lord today and say, I know Mike about a bad deal? Would anybody raise their hand and say, I know Mike what it's like to be foolish? Those of you that didn't raise your hand, you're liars, every single one of you. David Snow walked me right through the process of what to do. But at the end of the day, I cut my losses and learned a valuable lesson. Better listen to me this morning. Living for Christ in the face of your suffering is not like a foolish car deal that you think you will be ashamed of one day. Paul says, I will not be put to shame. There will come a day as you walk through your suffering and you stretch your neck out to see God, there will come a day when you will not be put to shame for the faith that you have in the middle of your suffering. It's a word today for anyone grieving here. I know you've seen disappointment. And I know that you want your person back now. But if you will stretch out your neck toward the promise of Christ, that there will come a day when you will stand with your loved one and Jesus Christ will be worshipped for eternity. You will not be disgraced in your faith today because on that day you will be rewarded for the faith that you have now. Verse 23 seals the deal. Paul says in verse 23, look at the text with me. I am hard-pressed between the two. I don't know whether to live or die. I gain on both ways. He can't lose. He's Mr. Magoo. It all turns out well. Look at, what, look at what Paul says. For my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. I want to stay and teach you and train you, church. But if Jesus wants me now, then so be it. I, I really That's where I really desire to be. Paul believes that if he dies, he will be with Jesus. You better listen to that promise. What a promise that is. That for the Christian 
who leaves the earthly body, they are with Christ forever. It's what Paul believes. It's hard for us to imagine or gain gain this, this understanding, peace, and this idea because our lives are so easily in comparison to the first century. We treasure what's around us so much. I want to do things before I see Jesus. I do. I do. I want to see how my kids turn out. I want to be there for some moments of them. Me and Aaron have prayed to be grandparents. I want to take the grandkids from them and keep them for six or eight or ten hours and then give them back so they don't have to be there with me anymore. I want to buy them things. I want to do things. I, I do, but, but, but i got to remember that I'm just a pilgrim passing through. This is not my home. We treasure what's around us so much to the point that, that when death does come, we are devastated by death to a place where Jesus isn't our treasure anymore. The old timers really understand the idea of heaven. It gets sweeter as the days go by because most of their loved ones are there. I hope to get there one day. I'm not there. I'll confess that to you. And certainly the church in America despises death. Can I tell you something with the children in here? I think it's very helpful and healthy to carry your children to funerals. If you want to teach your children about death, the fact that we're all going to see it one day, carry your children to funerals. Let them have questions. Give them biblical responses. Don't just glaze by their questions with, with superficial Christianese remarks. Maybe that's not him. He's an angel in heaven. That is so unbiblical. We are not angels in heaven. Those are different beings. No, Jesus died for the saints, not the angels. Teach your children these things. Please hear me right with the kids in here. You will not drink a beer with Jesus in heaven one day. I don't care what 104.7 says. You will not give heaven some Hades in, in heaven one day. I don't care what 104.7 sings and says. Heaven is not a place for folks who love the world. Heaven is a place for those who love Jesus. We will not float on clouds. We will serve God forever and do things for Him as He sees fit. Don't miss this. I'm closing. Fact powers, come on up. That'll get everybody ready. That way you'll know I'm not lying. I am closing. Heaven is perfect. This statement is true. If you're longing to see someone there, they don't want to come back here. That's how wonderful heaven is. I love this idea. There's no concept of time in heaven. Meaning that if your loved one has been there for 10 years, they don't know it's been 10 years. 
You will show up one day and they'll look over at you and you'll look over at them. And to them, it'll be like you've always been there because there's no concept of time. And you will stand there and take your orders from Jesus in perfection. It'll be wonderful. There'll be no more sin there. There'll be no more manipulation there. There'll be no more injustice there. There'll be no more tragedy there. There'll be no more car accidents. There'll be no more cancer. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more tears. There'll be none of this. Because heaven will be infinite joy. Heaven will be infinite happiness. There'll be no more bad moments. Heaven is infinite love. Please hear me. You will always be satisfied in heaven. Some of the most satisfying times in my life, I look back, have been with my family. Don't check out. Don't check out. Please stay with me. I think about times with my family was all there together at Christmas. They were the most satisfying times as I look back. I think about the labor room with my wife. I think about when Sawyer was born. I think about when Sam was born. I think about wonderful times. I think about wonderful, satisfying times with my church family. And I think about how full my heart was in those times. Please hear me. All of that is a picture of what's to come because Christ will satisfy our heart in an infinite, the the moments will never end and it will be more satisfying than me standing with my wife as my kids were born. How can that be? Because Jesus will be there. Jesus will be there. Mark Twain, I remember reading his books in my mom's English class at Hueytown High School. Mark Twain said this, you can take heaven, I'd rather go to Bermuda. He believed this life was all there is. But the Bible says we have been made for more, that our citizenship is in heaven. And if you're here today, you're here today. You don't long to see Christ in heaven one day. You need to repent. Children, please hear me. You will see Jesus one day if you love him. And he will make everything right. And he died for you. Every kid, please look at me. Jesus died for you and he rose from the grave for you and he loves you so much and he prepared a place for you to live with him forever and ever and ever. And if you will trust him with all of your heart, he will save you. Now let us as parents go live this out in front of our kids. Grandparents, Live it out in front of our grandkids. And if you're here today and you're in a circumstance that you can't handle, I got good news for you. Jesus can handle it. He may not clear it up, but he'll give you joy right in the middle of it. Would you trust him today? Even if you're saved, would you trust him today? He's good. We've preached two funerals this week. 
and I watched two families, two families, bury loved ones who loved God. But I've been at funerals and had to do funerals where the person we buried didn't love God. And the way those families grieve is completely different. Paul says to grieve, but he says to grieve like there's hope. Because Jesus is real and heaven is real. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, would you run to him? If you're here today and you know Christ and you're walking through a difficult circumstance, would you run to him? Jesus came to give you joy right in the middle of it. He can do it. I can't do it, but he can do it. Father God, we ask your blessings over this time in our worship. If you're here today and you need prayer, the, the altar is open. The invitation is for you. We'd love to pray with you. Let's stand together as powers begins to lead us in a song of invitation. Let's stand together and let's begin to sing. If you need prayer, come on.